This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. I just unmuted it. That's good? I'm good? Okay. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. Wa idh qala rabbuka lil malaikati inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifah. Qalu ataj'alu fiha man yufsidu fiha wa yasfiku al-dimaa. Wa nahnu nusabbihu bihamdika wa nuqaddisu lak. قال إني أعلم ما لا تعلمون رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ثم ما بعد ونسجن أبيون السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so inshallah تعالى we pick up from where we left off I gave you an overview of the story and some of the main themes and lessons that are to be drawn from the story and now inshallah we go ayah by ayah and highlight some of the things that we haven't been able to do thus far after Allah Azza wa Jal declared his uh, announcement to the angels that he's going to put a khalifa on the earth, and they raised their criticism, are you, are you really going to put someone there that is going to cause corruption and spill blood? They offered themselves as an alternative, and that's an unanswered kind of question thus far. وَنَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِكَ وَنُقَدِّسُ When you say the word nahnu here, uh, that's, it, it turns this sentence, which is supposed to be verbal, into a nominal sentence. In other words, it's, it can be, you can say in Arabic without mentioning nahnu, nusabbihu bihamdika wa nuqaddisu lak, done deal. Okay, young man, sit up, sit up, you're a young man. Old people can lie down, you need to sit up. Okay, good. Alright, yeah, so the thing is, I give lectures and you would think that I won't, don't care about awkward moments, I embrace awkward moments. So if, uh, and that's, that's part of being a teacher. So uh, one of these days, I'm just going to like, Stop, walk over to the back, and see the lady chewing on like whatever potato chips she's eating, and call her out. I know there isn't one. There isn't one. Don't look back. <laughs> but if there is one, she's really embarrassed right now. But anyway, <laughs> but I will do that. And I have no hesitations. I'll have the camera people follow me back and make you famous, inshallah. Okay, so. <laughs> but in any case, 
And especially, by the way, it's not to embarrass anybody, but especially young people, I love calling them out. It's a good thing. It's good. It builds character, right? So, huh? but anyway, so نحن نسبح بحمدك ونقدس لك. The word نحن suggests what's called as a principle of Arabic الإثبات على غير الفاعل. Here's what that means in simple English. Uh, it actually suggests that we're in fact the ones that declare your perfection, and in parentheses, not anybody else. It's as though they're saying, Ya Allah, we're already here. Our kind of creation, meaning angels, already does what you want them to do. We do your tasbih, and we carry out the responsibilities that you give us, so we don't understand the rationale behind putting something else. So if you don't read this carefully, one possible wrong way of looking at this text is, why do you want to create human beings? We're so much better already. We're the ones that do the real thing. But actually, they're, they're saying this out of confusion. Their confusion is, I thought that the purpose of all creation, they're, they're thinking the purpose of all creation is tasbih. Like Allah Himself says, يُسَبِّحُ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ Everything in the skies and the earth declares Allah's perfection. And angels do that to perfection. They're constantly doing the tasbih of Allah. So why put someone on the earth who will have the choice to do it and not to do it, which is implied in the word Khalifa. He's left to his devices, so if he chooses to do it, fine. If he doesn't choose to do it, fine. Like Allah will tell humanity directly later on in the Qur'an, you know, الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرْ The truth is from your master, whoever wants, they should believe, and whoever wants, they can disbelieve. They should dis- let them disbelieve. You know, the choice is given. So they're confused about that, and so they declare, we're the ones who declare your perfection, وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكْ and, we, we, and it sounds kind of repetitive, and we declare your sanctity. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into these words, because these are, this is part of very important terminology in the Qur'an. Tasbih of Allah. Declaring Allah's perfection as I, I translate it, is a very common term in the Qur'an, and a very powerful concept in the Qur'an. So powerful in fact, that the Prophet ﷺ will say, you know, Subhanallahi nisful mizan, walhamdulillahi tamla'uh, right, that the, the saying Subhanallah is half the scale. And saying Alhamdulillah, completes the scale, in other words, in recognizing you know, our, our fundamental relationship and our appreciation of Allah, these are the two statements. And one of them is the beginning of the Qur'an, right? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And several surahs begin with the tasbih of Allah. Subhana alladhi asra bi'abdihi, sabbaha lillahi ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard, yusabbihu lillahi ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard. Several surahs of the Qur'an begin with this tasbih of Allah. And then there are surahs that begin with the hamd of Allah, like Surah Al-Kahf, Alhamdulillahi alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitab, right? So these are very powerful statements in the Qur'an. Today is an opportunity for us to discuss one of them, the tasbih. The word sabh, I'll read something for you. Uh, for you. At-tasbihu mushtaqun min as-sabh. The word tasbih that we do, subhanallah, 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 is derived from the idea of sabh or sabaha, which means to float or to swim. وَالسَّبْحُ الْمَرُّ السَّرِيعُ فِي الْمَاءِ It actually means to move quickly in the water or to float in the water. وَفِي الْهَوَى And also in the air. So birds also do a kind of floating in the air, and that's actually called sabaha also. So anything that floats or remains in its place is called, it's, it's said to be engaged in the act of sabaha. وَالتَّسْبِيحُ تَنْزِيهُ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى وَأَصْلُهُ الْمَرُّ السَّرِيعُ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ Some actually argue because sabaha actually means to move quickly. That is, when one moves quickly to the worship of Allah, they're engaged in the act of tasbih. But the other meaning is that, you know, when something floats, it refuses to drown. Right? And when something stays in one place, that means that it's maintaining its position. What it is, is we, have, we learn some things about Allah. We learn that He's one. We learn that He has no child. We learn that He's eternal. That He's for, since ever and forever. We learn that He's perfect in every way. We learn things about Him. Everything you learn about Him, now you've declared a certain status for Him. Now for you to say anything that takes away from that status is you're bringing that level down. Like you're making the, 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 the praise of Him drown a little bit or sink a little bit. You can't allow that to happen. Everything you say about Allah, everything you do in service to Allah should, should, should actually uh, uh, re- reflect tasbih, the idea of Allah's perfection. That you don't bring down anything and you let these names and attributes and you know, the descriptions of Allah float where they're supposed to. You don't let anything sink down even a little bit. To put this in practical terms, you know, we have relationships in life. We have, for example, a relationship with our parents. And there's a certain level of respect and love and you know, loyalty and obedience you have to maintain with your parents. But sometimes your parents put that to the test. 
Sometimes your parents ask very unreasonable things of you. They lose their cool. They blame you for things you haven't done. You know, parents can do all kinds of things sometimes. And at those times, what happens? Sometimes a person loses their cool and their appreciation or their respect for their parents dips. It goes down, right? And then they have to like apologize and go back and bring it back up again, right? But the idea is this is why you'll find in the Qur'an when people say blasphemous things, when people attribute partners to Allah or say inappropriate things about Allah, then the response to that is subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's, so, he's too perfect for you to say that. You have to maintain that perfection. That's actually the idea of saying subhanallah. To declare the perfection of Allah and not allow any flaw to be attributed to Him and that the imagery is drawn from something floating. But then Allah adds to that statement, Nusabbihu. We don't just say Nusabbihu, you know, Nusabbihu Allaha. Like we say Subhanallah. We don't say Nusabbihu Allah. We Nusabbihu Bihamdillah. The Quran continuously adds this phrase. Subbihisma Rabbik. On the one hand, you can declare the perfection of the name of Allah by saying Subhanallah. But then there's Subbih Bismi Rabbik al Azim. Or Subbih Bihamdi Rabbik. And I'll highlight one of them for you today to declare Allah's perfection by praising and thanking Him. Two parts to this. The first part of this is you have to understand what hamd is. Hamd is to be appreciative of Allah, to appreciate the things that Allah does. Like if Allah has created something beautiful, for you to admire the beauty of what Allah created is part of hamd. That's one part of it, appreciation. And the other part of it is thanks. To acknowledge that a favor has been done to you. Look, when I appreciate a beautiful mountain, I'm into mountains. When I see a beautiful mountain, I'm appreciating it. But the mountain didn't do me any favors necessarily. So I'm not thanking Allah for the mountain, but I'm certainly appreciating Allah for the mountain, right? So the, but the idea of hamd is it combines thanks and appreciation together. And now by tying this idea of hamd to tasbih, nusabbihu bihamdika, the angels are saying that the way we declare that you are perfect is that we constantly find things to appreciate about you. And we constantly acknowledge things to be grateful to you for. A human being cannot declare the perfection of Allah without appreciation and gratitude. That's actually what we're learning. This is a very powerful concept. The perfection of Allah is not a philosophical construct in Islam. Like in philosophy, you can discuss whether God is perfect or imperfect, or eternal or not, in theological literature or in philosophical literature. But in the Qur'an, it's actually tied to human emotions. The perfection of Allah can only be appreciated when you are appreciative and when you're grateful. And both appreciation and gratitude are matters of the heart. Something is beautiful, you, you see its beauty, you appreciate its beauty, where? In your heart. Some favor has been done to you, you feel gratitude, where? In your heart. So instead of these being philosophical ideas, these are actually spiritual ideas. The tasbih of Allah is a matter of the heart, which is a very powerful realization for us to acknowledge. That the, the angels themselves are saying that they have a heartfelt appreciation for Allah's perfection. And you, Allah, Ya Allah, you're going to create someone who's not in your presence, who's left on the earth. He's not going to be able to see you. He's going to have to believe in you in the unseen. And when out of sight, out of mind, he's not going to be acknowledging your appreciation. He's not going to be grateful for what you do for him. You're invisible to him. So he's just going to live his life and complain and, and, and forget about you. So that's captured in نَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ bihamdik. The next thing I wanted to, before I move on about the perfection of Allah that I wanted to highlight in this phrase, is something that just really struck me about the way Musa salam spoke to Allah when he asked for his brother to help him on his mission. I know that's not related to these ayat, but it mentions tasbih there. So he asked Allah to allow his brother to join him in his mission. Ushdud bihi azri. You know, ashriku fi amri. Make him a partner in my mission. I can't do this mission to go challenge the Pharaoh, Fir'aun, alone. I need him alongside with me. He will, he will give strength to my back. Make him a partner in my mission. Why should you make him a partner in my mission? So we can both declare your perfection a lot. What is that? What does the mission with Fir'aun have to do with declaring Allah's perfection? And why does he need you know, his brother Harun السلام, to declare? He could do tasbih himself. So why is he combining his brother in this mission and saying, so that we can declare your perfection? What are the op- by opposites things are recognized? الأشياء what is the opposite of perfection? Imperfection, right? Flaw. What's the opposite of flawless? Flawed. I and my brother are going to do our best to serve your deen. And sometimes I will need to be corrected because I need to do something better. 
Sometimes he will need to be corrected because neither I nor my brother are what? We're perfect. And when we are corrected, that will be a reminder that the only one that is beyond correction, who's always perfect is Allah Azza wa Jal. As a matter of fact, when somebody corrects you or me, and when somebody advises you or me, when somebody picks up after a flaw of yourself and myself, and we acknowledge that flaw, and we say, SubhanAllah, we're actually saying, of course I have a flaw. Because the only one without flaw is Allah. And when someone refuses to acknowledge their flaws, and when someone puts a blind spot behind, you know, over their flaws and gets upset, when some flaw is pointed out, even out of genuine concern, then they are actually denying in their heart the tasbih of Allah. They're denying the idea that perfection only belongs to Allah. So, so powerful. And that's something that they've you know, embodied in this statement, نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِ Rabbik, Embedded in it is the idea, we're concerned, that this creature, even when he's corrected, he's not going to acknowledge his mistake. You know, he's going he's gonna to mess up. And he's going to fall short in declaring your perfection by actually attributing more greatness to himself. He's going to be full of pride and ego. And then they add, وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكَ And this seems like a synonym. You know, some Mufassirun even said, التَّسْبِيحُ وَالتَّقْدِيسُ بِمَعْنًا Meaning that the idea of declaring Allah's perfection and declaring His holiness or His sanctity is all one and the same thing. But of course, there's a principle in the language of the Qur'an, إِذَا اجْتَمَعَا تَفَرَّقَ It's a Balaghi principle, it's a rhetorical principle of Arabic also. When two words are next to each other, they necessarily mean two different things. Allah does not put two words next to each other without a purpose. They, and, they, and highlights their distinct identities. So what does the word taqdis mean? Let's dig into, a little, uh, into it a little bit. At-taqdisu mushtaqun min al-quds wal-qudus. It comes with sukun or with a dhamma. Quds or al-qudus. Bil-iskan. Wal-qudusu bi-dhammatayn at-tahara. And qudus actually means purity. Purity. Qaddasa means to declare something pure. Or to make sure something remains pure. Now from it you get words like al-ard al-muqaddasa. The, the, the sanctified land. You know, Ruhi Al-Qudus. One of the names of Jibreel alayhi salam. One of the names of Allah Al-Qudus. Also comes from the same origin. The thing is that creations of Allah can be muqaddas. They can't be musabbah. Creations of Allah can actually be declared sanctified, holy. Like the, a land can be considered holy, pure, spiritually pure. That's Al-Ard Al-Muqaddasa. That's al-bayt al-maqdis, for example, right? Sanctified, holy land. But tasbih is only for Allah. There's no such thing as al-ard al-musabbaha. And as a matter of fact, you can say, qaddastu rajulan, I consider that person a very holy person, a, sac- a sacred person. Oh, this person is innocent of any crimes. They're actually pure. They're innocent. That's actually a kind of taqdis also. You can do taqdis of a person, but you cannot do tasbih of a person. Tasbih is only for... Allah Azza wa Jal. So when they say نُقَدِّسُ secondarily, it's beautiful because first they mentioned an act that is only for Allah. نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِ Rabbik. That can only be for Allah. Then they mentioned an act that is done for Allah and can be done for other than Allah also. But what they did is something beautiful. Instead of saying نُقَدِّسُ ka, which is what is expected in the Arabic language. We declare your sanctity, we declare your purity. That actually is نُقَدِّسُ ka. They say نُقَدِّسُ laka. They put a lamb there. This is additional. They say in Arabic, if wording is added, meaning is added. So what's the added meaning here? They're saying, we declare you holy. And we declare you pure from all flaws, like we declare nobody else. On the one hand, we maintain your perfection. On the other hand, we never think of anything pure, impure associated with you. We never ever think of that. So this is particularly about purity. And that's why the, the taqdeer of it, the implication of it is, أَيْ أَنَّكَ تَفْعَلُ مَا هُوَ أَطْهَرُ You only do that which is pure. Now why is that related to the, what we read, read already in this ayah? What we've understood so far in this ayah is they say, Ya Allah, you're about to put on this earth someone who's going to commit crimes, cause corruption, spill blood, but please note, Ya Allah, by us asking this question, we are not saying that you make less than wise decisions. You're still perfect. We don't understand. You're still perfect. So we're not putting this question forward as a criticism. We're still declaring your perfection. You understand? We're not trying to cross the line here. We're just trying to understand for ourselves. This is a huge lesson to learn. That when you don't understand something about the book of Allah, 
Then when you don't something, understand something about the teachings of your Prophet ﷺ, and you say, this is not making sense to me, this is, I'm trying to understand, then immediately you acknowledge that even though I don't understand, that is the, the lack of perfection of my understanding, there's a lack of completion of my mind, but Allah in His commands, in His wisdom, in His teachings is always perfect. That I don't take anything away from Allah. This is where shaitan gets you. You know, being not understanding something and asking a question, anybody can do. And it's human, it's gonna happen. You're gonna have questions. As a matter of fact, if you're a serious student of the Qur'an, most of your study is about unanswered questions. Most of your study is every ayah poses a certain set of questions. It creates a curiosity. And you're digging to find the answer to that question. But the, what will keep your attitude in check? That will be, وَنَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِكَ and that, then thereafter, وَنُقَدِّسُلَكَ And certainly we never attribute anything impure to you. I'll give you a recent example. You know, because I get, uh, I don't know how people find my email address, but they do. Um, and they send me all kinds of crazy questions, right? It's all kinds of questions. And people, Muslims, ask questions about the Qur'an, and that's okay, they don't know, so they're asking. But sometimes you can tell the tone inside a question, you know. It's one thing to ask a question, it's another thing to be critical and condescending of the Qur'an when you're asking a question. So they're like, you know, there's a question about like, you know, the Surah Al-Kahf and, you know, the child that was killed. If you know the story of, you know, of Khidr and Musa alayhi salam, and they pass by a boy and Khidr kills the boy. And then there's a, the email question says, you know, what kind of God allows for a boy to be killed by God's own command? What kind of sick thing is that to do? Isn't that murder? Isn't that unjustified? Isn't that a heinous crime, etc., etc.? There's a way to ask that question. And, but the way that it was posed in an email like that, it takes away from the tasbih of Allah. There's no harm in asking, I don't understand why a child would be killed. I'd like to understand why, how we can consider that still mercy. How can we consider that still an act of wisdom from Allah Azawajal? That's a fair question. But the tone taken, and the words used, and the exclamation marks, and the extra capitalizations, uh, there's, a, there's a problem of tasbih here. And when that goes away, then this is the tone of Iblis. The accusatory tone. You made me slip. Why should I do sajda? You know? This is, this is his tone. Don't fall into that trap. And so, وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكَ And we, consider, we always consider that you do the pure thing. And you do the pure thing. And Allah Azza wa Jal responds to them, His first response, إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ He says, no doubt about it, it is I who knows better or, or, or know most of what you don't know. A'lamu could here be considered a sigat ismu tafdil. And if it is, then the ma is a mudaf ilay, which means I am the best knowing of what you don't. Not only do I know what you don't, I know best what you don't know. I know best what you don't know. And the other meaning is it's a mudari, which means certainly it is I, in fact, who knows what you absolutely do not know. And that's why the beauty of it here is not alladhi la ta'lamun. He says ma la ta'lamun. If it's alladhi la ta'lamun, Allah is highlighting one particular thing you don't know. When he's saying ma la ta'lamun, ma mubham, it's ism maful mubham, ism maful mubham, suggesting there's all kinds of things you don't know. Angels, you are, you are looking at one angle of this, but there are several angles, too many to, to, for you to internalize, and those are the ones I know and you don't. And now the rest of it is going to be, unlike the story I told you from the Jewish accounts, the extra-biblical Jewish accounts where angels are burnt alive for raising a criticism, or they're destroyed, Allah Azza wa decides to demonstrate to the angels some reasons that they don't know. They don't realize certain things that make the human being capable of this responsibility that's been handed to him. And so we begin, وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا And uh, Adam salam, he taught Adam salam the names, all of them. Al-asma' comes from the Arabic word wasm, which means a marking. It also means a description. Ism is not just the word for a name. Ism is not just the word for a name. It's also the word for a description. So, when Allah says, Allah taught Adam salam the asma', it means He taught him names of things, and He also taught him descriptions of things, attributes of things. This is fire, it burns. This is a rock, it's hard in nature. This is wood, you can do X, Y, Z with it, etc. So he's not just telling him the names of things, but he's also giving him an education of their descriptions. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal, when he taught Adam Alayhi these names, this is already also different from the biblical account. In the biblical, in the Bible's account, Adam went to the earth, or Allah put him, showed him the earth, and he started pointing at different animals, and Adam started naming them himself. Like he started picking the names of these things himself. 
You guys are way too hyper. Okay, you sit apart from your friend. Is that your brother or your friend? Cousin? Okay, you can't sit together. You have to have an adult in between you so I don't hear you guys again. Is that cool? Where's the adult? That's not an adult. That's empty space. Find me an adult that sits in between you and the guy, the little kid who keeps getting thirsty and goes for a walk, I will find you next time. Because every time that door opens, I can hear the wrestling match happening in the hallway. So, you, you sent a referee? I think, I think they warmed up. Okay, okay, so they're, okay, all right. Alhamdulillah, this is all good. I don't get bothered by this stuff. And actually, this is an opportunity on a tangent to remind you of something. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he speaks, it's the most important speech. And when he leads the prayer, it's the most important prayer. And when, when the people behind him are listening to Qur'an being recited, then there's nothing more valuable than that. Standing in al-Masjid al-Nabawi, Rasulullah is the Imam, the Sahaba are behind him, following him in prayer. And Rasulullah hears the whimpering and the, the crying and the noise of children in the back. Now when we hear that noise, oh, forget khushu'ah. The only thing in your mind is, which parent am I going to educate after salat is done? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. That's all you're thinking. Rasulullah will finish, and he'll actually, the, the, the sunnah of it, كَانَ يَقْتَصِرُ مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ He used to shorten his prayer when he heard children cry. In other words, the recitation of the Qur'an, nothing more important than recitation of the Qur'an. Nothing more important than standing in front of Allah for Rasulullah reciting the word that was revealed to him, and yet when it came to just a courtesy extended to children, he would shorten that. And he wouldn't finish it and give a speech saying, don't bring your children to the masjid. He wouldn't give that speech. He just shortened the prayer and that's it. That's all we learn. He just shortened the prayer. Subhanallah. You'd have Rasulullah in the middle of his speech, his grandchild would come and start crying. And he'd just pick him up, take care of him. Like there's a pause button on the lecture. And you take care of him and then put him back. Now we have to be practical as well. So sometimes when we are in a gathering and there are children that are just, you know, they're a little too, since I'm of Bhutan origin, I can say they're a little too Bhutan. You know, they just can't sit straight. You know, they've got a little too much Palestinian in them or something. Then you know what? Just be courteous parents. Take them for a walk. Let them bang their head into a couple of walls like they've wanting, been wanting to do and then bring them back. Let, let the sinuses clear out, you know. So, that, so that's just as a courtesy to the people around you. But certainly, there's, this is not enough reason to be harsh towards parents or towards children, uh, because that actually goes against the sunnah of our messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Anyway, so Adam alayhi salam, Allah taught him the names and descriptions. I, I was saying of all kinds of things. Kullaha, the word kull in Arabic could mean all things, but actually, you don't take that literally. Uh, just like in any language, you know, there are, there's a friend who tells his friend, "Man, I did everything for you." That doesn't mean you did everything for me. It means you did a lot of things for me. So when you say the word everything or all sometimes, that actually means all kinds of things. So all, all manner, all variety of things were done for Adam Alayhi education. All kinds of names were taught to him. Now, this is a very important moment in the Qur'an because Allah is teaching us that education begins with naming and descriptions. Which is, by the way, to this day, all the sciences. Some of you are specialists in engineering. Others are studying biology and medicine. Others are going into finance and accounting. Uh, yet others in physics. You're going in different directions in your sciences. And humanity has now developed so much that it's, physics is not one science. It's a hundred different specializations under physics. Chemistry is not one thing. It's a thousand different specializations under chemistry. So there are specializations and sub-specializations and sub-specializations. Right? Everything from the field of medicine, to history, to sociology, to psychology, there are just these exhaustive fields. And what happens when two physicists are hanging out at an Eid party? They're talking in their language. And everybody else is like, what is going on here? When there are two people specialized in photography, and they're discussing camera technology or camera settings on their devices or the newest releases or whatever, nobody else in the room understands what acronyms they're using, what latest releases they're talking about. When a couple of software geeks are talking about the new iOS update or the patches or new, new standards for HTML or whatever else, everybody else in the room is like, what language are they speaking? What are they talking about? You know? 
The same thing happens with the language of cars, the language of video games for young people, the language of programming, the language of medicine, right? When people get into it, and uh, you know, it even happens with like religion students, people that are studying fiqh. When they get into fiqh terminology, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, la ahad ya'rif madha yaqul. Nobody knows what they're saying. When people get into grammar discussions, Arabic discussions, nobody else knows this fa'il, munfasil, dhameer, mustatir, taqdiru, nobody cares. What, what is that? You know? But you know what? At the end of the day, all of these sciences, the, the farthest you go in any science, at the end of the day, you know what it boils down to? Terminology and description. At the end of the day. You are in your field, you are familiar with certain terms, and the concepts and descriptions behind those terms. That's at the end of the day, your field. When you're studying in college, any course you're taking, there's always a glossary of what? Terms. And you're like, man, what does that mean? What is this definition? Half your test is about definitions. You know, true, false, or fill in the blank, or whatever else. Scantron, I don't even know what to do nowadays. Or online tests. What did that term mean? Oh my God, what does it mean? Is it this one or this one? Oh, I got the definitions confused. At the end of the day, all sciences boil down to what? Definitions. Now I want you to think of it like this. Adam salam was given the seed, which is the base definitions for all things. The next generation of human beings comes along. They take his definitions and they build on it and build sub-definitions. The next generation builds more definitions and more and more and more. Like a seed growing into a tree and giving fruit and having all of these fruit. All sciences, all human knowledge that boils down to terminology is actually rooted in what was given to Adam salam. You know what that means? It's profound. Who taught Adam these things? Allah Azza wa taught him to name things in this world and to document, to document, to make references to things. And as a result, he was able to pass that knowledge on to his children and they to theirs and they to theirs and they to theirs, which means all knowledge of science, all knowledge of medicine, all knowledge of sociology, all knowledge of psychology, all knowledge of any field of human inquiry that, that humanity is involved in today is actually an extension of revelation itself. Allah Azza wa revealed the base source code on which all of this is being built. It's as if to say, like to make this example easy for you, Allah Azza wa gave Adam salam the Legos. If you're gonna build an entire building out of Legos, it's still made out of what? The Legos. The source code is still the Lego blocks. Those blocks that were given to Adam salam. And so when somebody says, I want to study deen, I don't want to study dunya. When students come to me and say, Ustad, I really love the study of psychology, I love it, but I want to study deen instead. I was like, you are already also studying deen. Yes, you should be studying Quran and Sunnah, but when you're studying finance, when you're studying accounting, when you're studying you know, psychology, sociology, political science, history, when you're studying engineering and medicine, when you're studying these things, you are studying an extension of the gift given to Adam salam. That was also revealed. He said, Allam al-Quran. He, Allah said, he taught the Quran. Here he says, Allam al-Asma. He taught the names. And the names of things, and descriptions of things. This is sacred knowledge. Human knowledge, all of it is sacred. And that's why Allah boasts about it in the first revelation. He taught the human being with what? The pen. Is the pen only used for Quran and Sunnah? Look at human history. When, where is the pen has been used? For every bit of human knowledge, the pen has been used. And Allah says, Allah is the one who inspired the use of the pen to humanity. He's the one who inspired the human being to put the paper to pen, you know, the, 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 the pen to paper. Profound reality in the Quran. Allah Azza wa inspiring humanity to inquire, to study. You know, there are several religious traditions in which if you're going to become more religious, you have to leave the world. You have to think about the next world and leave and abandon this world. You have to go into a monastery and you have to just remember God and worship and not, ex- not explore this world and find and discover and be scientific. Or You don't do that. Quran paints a very different picture. Quran paints the picture that humanity was sent on this earth to explore, to learn, to take the building blocks of knowledge that Allah has given Adam salam and to keep on expanding on them. Subhanallah. Now, Here's where the story takes a very interesting turn. So this, this building block of human knowledge Allah has been given, Allah has given to Adam alayhi salam. Then Allah says, ثُمَّ Then He presented them to the angels. Now what, is the, what in the world is this them? Them includes all the things that Adam learned to what? Name. He presented them to the angels. The problem is you don't notice anything off in the English translation but there's something completely outstanding in the Arabic of the ayah. 
It doesn't say ثُمَّ عَرَضَهَا عَلَى الْمَلَائِكَةِ If it's jam'a taksir, you just say ثُمَّ عَرَضَهَا He presented them before the angels. He says عَرَضَهُمْ Which is used لِلْعَاقِلِ وَإِذَا اجْتَمَعَ الْعَاقِلِ وَغَيْرُ الْعَاقِلِ when the, the, the creatures that possess intellect and creatures that don't present, possess intellect are all combined together, then you use home. What am I getting at? Adam wasn't just taught the name of a tree and the rock and the river and the bird and the elephant and the snake and all of that. Adam as we will learn in the hadith, was actually taught. If you combine the ayah and the hadith, he was actually introduced to every single human being. All of his children he was introduced to. And he learned all of our names. And he learned all of our descriptions. The father was introduced to all of his children. It's amazing. And so we read this. Uh, there are several narrations. I'll read one of them. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لما خلق الله آدم مسح ظهره فسقط من ظهره كل نسمة هو خالقها إلى يوم القيامة. When Allah Azza wa created Adam alayhi salam, he passed over, he did masah over his back, and from his back, from his spine, came kullu nasamatin, every breathing thing. A nasama actually, in Arabic, means a soft breeze. And if you look at the origins of the word ruh in, in Arabic, it comes from rih also, which is also what? A soft breeze. And if you look at the word nafs, it comes from nafas, which is a breath. So the idea is that the, the ruh is somehow described in the Qur'an as something of a breeze. And so all the souls of humanity were pulled out of Adam salam and created all at the same time. And the ones that will come until the day of judgment. So day of resurrection. So my children and their children and their children and their children, all of them were now created all at once in front of Adam salam. ثُمَّ جَعَلَ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْ كُلِّ إِنسَانٍ مِّنْهُمْ وَبِيصًا أَيْ بَرِيقًا وَلَمْعَانًا مِّن نُورٍ then Allah Azza wa Jal showed him that between the eyes, right here on the forehead, uh, Allah Azza wa Jal had placed a, a, a thing of light, of a brilliant light, bariqan, like an, uh, some brilliant star or shining light on every single human being. That's the nur Allah gave us, that's the fitrah Allah gave us. You can see it on their faces. And that's why actually, you some, some look at this and say that Allah Azza wa Jal describes on Judgment Day, when we come back to Allah, wujuhun yawma idhin nadira. There are some faces, some faces on Judgment Day that are lit. They still have the light that Allah created them with to begin with. So now there's the, here's the scene. Adam salam is looking at the entire sea of humanity and they all have a light on their faces. A light glowing on their faces, okay? And so, ثُمَّ عَرَضَهُمْ عَلَىٰ آدم. So he presented, same exact word. So he presented all of them to Adam. فَقَالَ أَيْ رَبْ مَنْ هَؤُلَىٰ Adam said, Oh, Master! Who are these people? Who are they? He doesn't know who these are. And by the way, if he said, Ula'ika, they would have been far away. He says, Man ha'ula, who are these? They're, they're right here in front of me. And Allah Azza wa says, Ha'ula'i dhurriyatuk. These are your offsprings. Dhurriya comes from the word dhurra. Dhurra means speck. And some say the word dhurriya was used because there were so many, like the specks of sand on the, on the, in the desert. There were that many human beings there. And so Adam is seeing all of his children. فَرَآ رَجُلًا مِّنْهُمْ أَعْجَبَهُ نُورُ مَا بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ So he saw of all the human beings there, he sees one man among them. And the light on his forehead somehow catches his attention. Ya Allah, I'm wondering, who's he gonna pick? You know, there's, everybody has light on, on their forehead, but there's one light that stuck out to Adam salam, and he picks out on that one, and then he says to Allah, فَقَالْ أَيْ رَبْ مَنْ هَذَا He said, Master, who's this? And I was going to guess, it's going to be Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa It's going to be Ibrahim alayhi salam. It's going to be, who's it going to be? And so, هذا رجل من ذريتك في آخر الأمم يقال له داود. He said, this is a man for later, in later generations that will come from your offspring. He's called Dawood. I was like, Dawood? I mean, he's awesome, but like, of all of humanity, Adam alayhi salam picks out Dawud alayhi salam? Like there's like all other messengers and stuff. Why well, not pick on them? Why do you pick on this one? And I'll get to that at the end. So he looks at him and he says, فَزِدْهُ مِنْ عُمْرِي sana." He loves him so much. He sees a connection, a bond with Dawud alayhi salam so much. He says, Ya Allah, take 40 of my years that I was going to get on the earth, give it to him. Give my, me 40 less years in this world, give him my 40 years. 
Adam is going to live a thousand years, and he, Allah is going to, he, he asks Allah to give him 40 of those years. Fine, it's been written, and it's been sealed, and it's not going to be changed. Done deal. I will give him your 40. And because he asked in another narration, how long is he going to live? He said 60 years. He said, Ya Allah, give him another 40. Let him live 100 years. So now, فَلَمَّنْ قَضَى عُمَرُ آدَمْ جَاءَهُ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ When Adam came on the earth, he lived his life, and his, the time of his death came, the angel of death arrived to him. قَالَ أَوَلَمْ يَبْقَ مِنْ عُمْرِي أَرْبَعُونَ سَنَةً and he sees the angel of death and says, Wasn't, didn't I have 40 more years? And the angel tells him, Awalam Didn't you give them to your son Dawood? Remember? And Rasulullah says, Fajahada, Fajahadat Dhurriyatuhu. And he made that argumentative case and look at his children. We've inherited that in some sense. What part of the nature of the human being is to want more, and when we give, we forget that we had given. Fanasiya. نَسِيَ آدَمُ فَنَسِيَ الذُّرِّيَتُهُ Adam forgot and his children forget. فَخَطِئَ Adam فَخَطِئَ الذُّرِّيَتُهُ Adam made a mistake, his children make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we are born into sin. That means part of our nature is that we're forgetful. Part of our nature is that we want to hold on to this life. Part of our nature is that we make mistakes. And that nature was part of the nature of Adam a.s. So that still doesn't answer the question, why Dawood a.s. And really there is no definitive answer, but the closest I've ever gotten to that answer is that there's a, this beautiful connection between the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. In the entire Qur'an, the word Khalifa is only used for two people. Adam and Dawud Ya Dawudu inna ja'alnaka khalifatan fil ardi. The title of Khalifa is never used for anyone else in the Qur'an except who? Adam and Dawud. And now you learn that before we even came on this earth, Adam sees the rest of humanity and somehow something sticks out to him. I have something in common with this kid. I think I want to give him 40 of my years. Subhanallah. And how subtly the Quran captures that. When Allah says, Ya Dawudu, inna ja'alnaka khalifatan fil ardi. Dawud, we made you a khalifa on the earth. And Allah says to Adam, about Adam, inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. It's so beautiful. That that connection was something naturally Adam knew he's going to have. So when you, what that means for the student of the Qur'an, which we're not going to do here, for the serious student of the Qur'an is to actually do a comparative study and a close analytical study of the life of Dawud and the guidance given about Dawud and Adam To understand the concept of Khilafah completely. Because there's that connection that's been drawn from the very beginning of creation. Now, we're learning that Allah taught Adam not just the names, but the descriptions of what? Everyone. So he knows my name, he knows my, 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 my qualities, he knows, all, he knows my daughters, he knows Husna, he knows Wadiya, he knows Huda, you know, he, the father. He's our father, he knows all of his children. He knows all of his children. And he knows so much about us. And that's part of his education, subhanAllah. Now, Allah takes that same sea of humanity, and he puts them in front of the angels. Therefore the word home. Now, the, you know, the last thing the angel said was, we don't know what's going to happen on the earth, we think pretty bad things are going to happen. And then Allah says, I'm not sending one khalifa, I'm going to send all these. So if you think that's a problem, take a look at this. And now he sees all of them. Now, do they know the names of these? No. Who taught the names of humanity and their qualities to Adam? Allah did, right? Allah has not taught this to who? Angels. So the angels look at this, and Allah says, فَقَالَ أَنْبِئُونِ بِأَسْمَاءِ هَؤُلَاءِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Allah asked the angels, why don't you inform me of the names and qualities of all of these, if in fact you're telling the truth. If you're truthful in your claim that he's going to spill blood, he's going to cause bloodshed, he's going to kill, etc., etc., he's going to cause corruption, why don't you describe to me what these people are like? Help me out. Inform me. And they say, قَالُوا سُبْحَانَكَ They say, you're too perfect. They're too perfect. We, they repeat themselves. Ya Allah, we didn't mean to be blasphemous in any way. And when, by the way, when you acknowledge a flaw in yourself, that is the time to acknowledge the perfection of Allah. They acknowledge the lack of their knowledge. And how do you acknowledge the lack of your own knowledge? You say, Subhanallah. Subhanaka. How perfect you are. La ilma lana. There is absolutely no possibility of any knowledge in our possession. Illa ma'allamtana. Except what you've already taught us. Other than you having taught us, we know absolutely nothing. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ You're the one who knows everything. In other words, you know 
all these names we don't know, all these descriptions we don't know, you're the Al-Alim and you're also Al-Hakim, Ya Allah, whatever decision you've made to put them on the earth, we know that it's full of wisdom. We already acknowledge the wisdom in it. Even if we don't know that wisdom yet, إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ That is the attribute, the attitude of a believer. Now, moving along, قَالَ يَا آدَمْ أَنْبِئْهُمْ بِأَسْمَائِهِمْ He says, Adam, inform them of their names. So what's Adam a.s. going to do now? Adam a.s. is going to pick one by one by one by one, and he's going to describe and tell the name, and then the description of everybody in humanity. And who's he going to introduce them to? The angels. This list is going to include Fir'aun. This list is going to include Hitler. This list is going to include Charles Manson. You know, it's going to include serial killers. It's going to include rapists. It's going to include, you know, uh, criminals, genocidal maniacs, people who declared themselves God. It's going to include all kinds. Abu Lahab, he's going to be in there. But who else is it going to include? It's going to include Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa it's going to include Ibrahim alayhi salam. It's going to include Musa alayhi salam. And he's going through all this list. For who? For the angels. The angels are now being introduced to humanity. That's why Lamma litarahi. When eventually he was done informing them of their names and their descriptions. Now the angels notice something. The angels notice that there are lots of people in the list that are exactly what they were afraid of. What were they afraid of? He's going to cause corruption. He's going to spill blood. When they get to Firan, they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, exactly. So they're actually finding confirmation for what they said. But when they come across Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Ibrahim alayhi salam, Nuh alayhi salam, Zakaria alayhi salam, Yahya alayhi salam, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala al-Mujma'een, when they come across the great salihin of, this, of, the, of the world, the good people of the world, when they come across the young people of the cave, when they come across all these people, they're like, wait, we're not entirely right. Now, there's some pretty messed up people, but then there's also some pretty amazing people here. There's some pretty amazing people here. So now, they've been proven wrong because of the potential humanity possesses. And they see that they have some pretty amazing potential here. They have some pretty incredible qualities here, that, whose descriptions have been given. So Allah says, قَالَ أَلَمَ قُلْ لَكُمْ Didn't I tell you? Didn't I say to you? إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ غَيْبَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ I'm the one in fact who knows the unseen of the skies and the earth. Now why did Allah mention the unseen of the skies and the earth? Allah could have just said, I know about them and you don't. إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ بِهِمْ I know about them. But he says, أَعْلَمُ غَيْبَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ I know the unseen of the skies and the earth. It's so beautiful. Like Imam Razi and others have commented, human beings are made up of two components, the physical body and the ruh inside them. And the ruh inside them is from the samawat, and it's the secret of the samawat, and the beautiful formation of them from the, from the earthly material is actually the part of them that's the earth. Human beings are the ultimately kept secret of Allah, the unseen of the skies and the earth, finally revealed. This great accomplishment of Allah Azza wa Jal, the human being. I know the unseen secret of the skies and the earth. And I know what you make obvious. I know that you've made your concerns known. And I also know what you've been hiding. Now what, you, what have they been hiding? This is an interesting question. One thing they'd been hiding was, well they, they revealed the potential for the human being to do bad. But they never said anything about the human being also doing what? Good. I mean they, even though they knew he has, probably has both potentials, they highlighted one and not the other. So they hid one of them. And kana can be used for an emphatic reason, meaning I definitely know what you're hiding also. But it's also interesting that the angels, in their ranks, there was one who was not actually an angel. Iblis. And Allah Azza wa will describe about Iblis, that even though he had obeyed Allah before this incident, and he was made in charge of the angels, the Qur'an will tell us, kana min al-kafirin. He was always from the unbelievers. He was always from the ungrateful. In other words, he had always had pride. It just never came out. But the seed was always there. And they don't even know. That's why A'lam was used. I know better than you what you show, and I know what you've been hiding. You don't even know who you're hiding among you. You're hiding the, the most arrogant creature in history among you, and you don't even know it. So Allah is saying, وَمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْتُمُونَ Even after being showed this display, and being shown the superiority of the human being, there is one among you that is still unconvinced. All the angels are now convinced. 
but there's one among you they're still unconvinced and Allah is alluding to that, that that creature who's unconvinced and Allah is saying I know what you've been hiding and that's why in the very next ayah everything comes out full circle when we said to the angels make sajda to Adam they all did so with the exception of Iblis by the way Iblis the word Iblis is not an Arabic word uh, it has pre-Arab origin uh, and you know it has maybe some Greek influence also Diablos, uh, and there are variations of that, and in Spanish they say Diablo for the devil, right? But it's, that's the Iblis part, Diablos is from the, the Iblis from Diablos is from there. So there is an, a pre-Arab connection to the word also. This is the actual name of Iblis. This is the actual name. And you'll notice, Allah didn't say Shaitan here, He said Iblis. Some other places He said what? Shaitan. But here He said Iblis. So what's the difference? The difference is here, it was the name of the father of humanity, Adam. And on the other side is the name of the father of the enemy of humanity, Iblis. So the two fathers are actually put together. Adam salam has Dhurriya and Iblis has Dhurriya, his, his offspring. And his offspring include Shayateen. He himself is a Shaitan, but they include Shayateen. So the two original people, the two entities in conflict first are actually mentioned by name now. So Allah says when we said to the angels, make sajda, uh, uh, to Adam, they did so with the exception of Iblis. Here, inshallah, before I, I conclude today, I'll, I'll wrap it a little bit early, I think five minutes or so, I'll be done. Uh, I do want to share with you a controversial opinion that I am convinced of. I don't mind sharing it with you because I, I see a lot of merit in it. Uh, you are completely free to disagree. There are only a handful of people that have found themselves in agreement with this opinion of, of mine. Um, but I'll still share it with you. Again, you are free entirely to disagree with it. There's a concept in Islamic studies called a sajda to takrim. The sajda, the prostration done out of nobility. Meaning before Islam, you could do sajda to other than Allah also, out of honor or respect for them, right? And so when the angels are told to do sajda to Adam, they did it out of respect for Adam or to acknowledge that Adam salam will have some kind of superiority over them. Some have also suggested, like the Qur'an says, angels were put to the service of human beings. There are angels that document our deeds, for example. There are angels that travel with us, that carry us. There are angels that guard us when we're traveling, when we're driving, and you know, yursilu alaykum hafadah. So Allah Azza wa Jal, and, and Qur'an will describe later when the believers die, the angels come to them and tell them, نَحْنُ أَوْلِيَاءُكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ We were your protective friends in worldly life and in the akhirah. So angels were put to the service of human beings, and that's being suggested by this sajda. But what I found, what, 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 I, was al- I always had a kind of a trouble internalizing this sajda to takrim concept, like the idea of sajda being done to other than Allah Azza wa Jal. There's only two of these mentioned in the Qur'an. One of them is to Adam salam. The other is by the children, by the brothers of Yusuf and the parents of Yusuf to Yusuf salam at the end of Surah Yusuf. Two sajdas to other than Allah, right? That are still considered acceptable. Uh, what I found you know, difficult to internalize is actually the lam here. When you say sajad, usjudu li Adam, the lam actually can be considered grammatically lam at ta'lil. Lam at ta'lil means make sajda not to Adam but because of Adam. It's possible to interpret this as Make sajda not to Adam, but because of Adam. Now what does that mean? When, the, when Musa salam threw the, stack, the staff, and it turned into a snake, and it ate the other fake snakes, what did the magicians do? They fell into sajda. Did they fall into sajda to the staff or because of the staff? Because of it, they acknowledged the greatness of Allah, and they fell into sajda. The idea, and, and you know, when um, something amazing happens in front of you, because of it, you fall into sajda. You understand? People do that for weird things like Pakistanis when they win like a cricket match, they do sajda. Because of, you know, because of the amazing thing they won a match. Yes, it's miraculous, you won a match. Yes, I agree too. You know, so, so you find when Musa salam's family is reunited, it seems to make more sense to me to say that because of this amazing thing, they were overwhelmed by the, the, the plan of Allah and the wisdom of Allah and the humility Allah put them to, that instead of being humbled to their brother, they were humbled before Allah Azza wa Jal, they fell into sajda because of Yusuf, not to Yusuf. Okay? Like people fall into sajda because of miracles, not to the miracles. And that further, in my mind it was reinforced only because Allah says, لِلَّهِ يَسْجُدُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ Only to Allah, everyone in the skies and the earth do sajda. Allah used the phrase only, اختصاص, لِلَّهِ مُقَدَّمْ 
to suggest such that is only and only done for Allah, which put, put, pulled me more in that direction. Then what pulled me even more in that direction is the fact that when we do sajda, we do sajda in what direction? The Kaaba. The Kaaba is built by Ibrahim salam. But we know that its foundations were actually first raised by Adam salam, And then it was reinforced and built again by Ibrahim salam. What was the purpose of the Kaaba? An tahira baytiya lit-ta'ifin wal-akifin wal-ruka'is-sujood. You're going to purify my house for people who do tawaf, go around it. I'tikaf, people who stay there. Wal-ruka', people who do ruku' And what? What's the final one? As-sujood, people who will do sajda. Ibrahim salam built that house so people will only do sajda to Allah Azza wa Ibrahim salam has two sons, Ismail and Ishaq. He teaches Islam to Ismail, he teaches Islam to Ishaq. Ishaq teaches Islam to who? Ya'qub. Ya'qub teaches Islam to who? Yusuf salam. And their Islam is the Islam of who? Their father Ibrahim. Is that, is that clear to everybody? Now Ibrahim salam is the one who built what? The Kaaba. Purpose of the Kaaba to do sajda only and only to Allah Azza wa Jal. And of his lineage is Yusuf salam and Yaqub salam. And these prophets salam, even in prison, Yusuf salam made reference to the fact that I follow the religion of my father, starting with Ibrahim salam. He made reference to that. So I have a hard time imagining that in the religion that emphasized sajda only to Allah, to the Kaaba, for the Kaaba, that you would allow for sajda to anyone else. It doesn't seem like there's room left for anywhere else. And I don't see that this is a problem because there's not a hadith about the sajda of takrim. There's not an ayah about the sajda of takrim. It's a grammatical interpretation that sajda was done to them. I, my heart is more settled on sajda was done because of them. It's more settled. And it maintains the integrity of this very powerful institution of sajda. That it didn't like all of a sudden, Allah Azza wa Jal revealed to Rasulullah that from now on sajda is only to Allah. Sajda to me seems like from the very beginning, one of the most powerful acts of worship before Allah. And if you study sajda in the Quran, sajda is done at the most amazing places. Like when the human beings are the most humble before Allah, they are to fall into sajda. And when Allah creates His greatest creation, which is what? The human being... That is when he compels the angels to do sajda. So even though I was going to say I was going to finish in five minutes, I'll take three more, I'll finish right on time. I'll tell you this one last thing. Who, who, where are these angels that Allah is talking to? These are the angels carrying the arsh of Allah. There's, these are the angels in the close company of Allah, kiram and barara. These are the noble angels. And Allah has now created the human being, Adam alayhi salam. And Allah is so proud of this creation. And Allah wants the, 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 His closest angels to acknowledge the greatness of this creation so much that some even argue that all of them, whatever task they were doing, were told, ka'ulahu sajideen, fall into sajda because of him. Fall into sajda before Allah. Declare the greatness of Allah because of this human being that's been created. And so all these angels that were busy doing all kinds of things, the legions upon legions upon legions of them, all of them just drop into sajda because of the greatness of Allah manifests in the creation of Adam in the creation of the human being. It's an incredible thing to realize the honor that Allah has given the human beings. The honor that Allah has given. Because Allah does not ask for sajda for small things. People don't fall into sajda for small things. And for all of the angels to fall into sajda, how much nobility has Allah given this human being? And now put it in perspective. Here we are, 2016. Some of you watching on your mobile devices or at home on your desktops or laptops or something. You guys sitting here in the masjid. Allah has given this human being such amazing capacity. The first of those things was his ability to learn. And what do we do with this ability to learn? Thumbs up on a stupid video. What do we do with this ability to learn? Except earn more trophies on our PS4 game so we can be ranked higher online. What have we done with this mind? that Allah has given us, this faculty that Allah gave us, this heart that Allah gave us, that we have wasted so much of it, drowned, drowned zombies into entertainment, that we didn't think about the role for which we were placed on this earth. I, for one, am not against entertainment. But you know, there's such a thing as overdose. And when you overdose on anything, it's, it's bad for you. And when you overdose on entertainment and just kill you, this beautiful mind that Allah has given you, this incredible gift that Allah has given you, when you waste it away on entertainment, then it's the greatest tragedy. This creature that was able to learn, and it was learned, he learned so much, he was able to impress the angels. And now all he learns is useless things. This is all he learns. 
And the only reason he learns is he wants to make more money. That's just as pathetic as video games. We didn't come on this earth to learn to make money. We came on this earth to learn to make this world a better place and to learn how to make our master happy again and to reconnect with our master. That's why we were put on this earth. وَاسْتَعْمَرَكُمْ فِيهَا Allah says He put you on this earth to, to, He wanted you to build on it. He wanted you to develop on it. This was the goal of the human being. But I especially say that to young people. You have fresh, young minds. Fulfill the legacy of Adam salam. Put your minds to work. Don't underestimate your intellect. This intellect is an amazing thing. You know, Imam Raghib al-Asfahani under Aql, the first comment he made is, مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ خَلْقًا أَكْرَمَ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ الْعَقْلِ He didn't make anything more noble, that he give more nobility to than the intellect of the human being. Respect this intellect. This is what put us in this position to begin with. Our ability to learn. You know, that, that, that we would be given a, pa- a level past angels. We'd be given a level past Jibreel alayhi Subhanallah. How, would we, how can we earn that? This is, this is something that really has to be thought about. May Allah Azza wa Jal make us worthy of the honor that He granted us and not make us forget that we are not insignificant, that we are not, our lives are not worthless, that they are noble and dignified to Allah. And that's when we understand. This is what I end with, the word of Allah when He says, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam." We thoroughly honored and dignified the children of Adam. Before we even came on this earth, Allah has dignified us. Allah has dignified you in a way that doesn't matter who makes fun of you, or who insults you, or who makes fun of how fat you are, or short you are, or ugly you are, you know, the fact that you're Muslim, or the fact that you have an accent, or whatever. You have been honored in the highest of heavens already. Nobody can take that away from you. Especially when you carry La ilaha illallah. May Allah Azza wa Jal keep us as people of dignity. Barakallahu li wa lakum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.